You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support the network at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, this is Flipping Tables, episode 55. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And we got a whole bunch of topics, as we do always. We do. This is a jam-packed rundown. I'm always excited because the tech news world can be like very – sometimes they're boring. Yeah, this is one of those times of year where like at least in the fall you have a whole bunch of stuff getting released for the holidays. In the summers when all the new software stuff kind of comes out. Which and is weird. I guess it's like summer break. Everybody pushed to prod, I guess. <laughs> in the spring is like everyone's probably just doing code sprints and after code sprint of stuff they aren't talking about yet. Yeah, this really is the – I guess they're – you build in the spring, you like announce in the summer and then you sell in the fall. Well, then you then you have crazy bug, like horrible bugs <laughs> in the fall, and then you promise to fix them. But yeah. then your manager's like, no, we got to do new features. Sorry, too bad. This update <laughs> to OS ten will definitely fix your Wi-Fi issues. <laughs> it's this one. It's always this, It's always the one that's coming. Yeah. It's, it's like Little Orphan Eddie. <laughs> so we do podcasts. Yeah. I You may have noticed, right? Yeah. Do you listen to shows sped up? Yes. Do you listen to all your shows sped up? Most of them. Most of them. So The Verge did a Vergey kind of Verge thing, and they crapped all over this idea of listening to a podcast sped up. And their article, which is in the show notes, of course, at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 55 for this episode, <laughs> um, it, they make a really valid argument. It's just – it's short-sighted. Yeah, it's niche. It's Yeah. <laughs> And the like, they they use uh, example audio from a, a recent podcast, and then to make the point a little more obvious, they use audio from the radio version of uh, War of the Worlds. Okay, which you know is like it's George Orwell is this amazing narrator, and and it sounds really weird sped up. Yeah, like really, really weird. There's no pauses. It's just like rah, 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 fully sound effect. Rah, 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 fully, fully, fully. Rah, rah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, that's terrible. But it's so obviously terrible, you wouldn't listen to it that way. Yeah, and it's not obviously terrible speeding up most actual podcasts. Yeah, it's actually just fine most of the time, and especially because the they harp really hard on the the one and a half and above. Yeah. And like I listen to stuff accelerated, but I listen at 1.3 because that to me still sounds it actually I've always thought it sounds like kind of quippy British. Like it's very it's very <laughs> British. Da- very Downton Abbey, like fast back and forth. And I like it. Like but on the other or hand Gilmore Girls. <laughs> or Gilmore Girls. Also very quippy New England. Um but I listen to a couple of shows like our own actually bits and pieces, which has some music in it, and I don't want to hear that stuff sped up. So I slow that show back down. It's almost like you just need a couple taps and you're, you can yeah. switch modes when you need to. So you, you use the Overcast app, right? Yeah, so that's one of the things they call out in this article is Overcast has two different dimensions you can try to speed up along. So there's the traditional, like, literally actually speeds up the entire audio file right, as it plays. Right, which is the way I do it. Yeah, and you have this, the familiar notches, you know, one, one and a quarter, one and a half, whatever, like percentage speed increases um but it also has this thing called smart speed which um 
will take an audio file and find gaps of silence where someone has a long pause like I just had a second ago, <laughs> example, um, and it'll shorten them. And it's it's pretty tastefully done because you can't tell. You don't notice um, unless you find weird examples like The Verge did right. um, of very specific situations where you still might not notice, but it's a different experience than the normal podcast. So the, one of their big examples was This American Life interviewing Mike Daisy, the guy who got really popular talking about um, Foxconn, labor, apples, uh, factories. Well, they're not apples factories, but Apple uses them along mm. with every other Western company in the world. Um, and he got in trouble for basically over-claiming how bad certain specific things were at the factory and then having to backtrack because he made it up. Ah, like and you do. There was a very contentious interview with This American Life where he tried to back up without admitting that he basically lied. And most, oh, the, the politician backpedal? Well, most of his backpedaling was it was a work of art. I was doing a piece. Ugh. So it was like the art can't tell the truth or lie kind of defense or something. Anyway, that's not the the important part. If you listen to those two recordings on The Verge, like they don't – to me, they do not sound that different. Like the the tone of the interview is not noticeably changed by a third of a second of pause missing. It's like, yes, he hesitates before he answers. It's okay that he hesitated a teeny little bit less. I'm not judging. Yeah. Like, this isn't a legal proceeding. So, Marco Arment, the creator of this Overcast app, wrote a big, long reply to the Verge article, basically saying, listen however you want. (laughs) (laughs) And he had some good points about it. And um, my thing is, like, I... I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who want to control other people's experience of art. Even though as a creator of things, I understand the urge when you're like, no, nah, man, don't listen to your crappy, <laughs> just like your phone speakers. I wrote that song and I want you to hear it like in full, like the full spectrum in like an isolated. You, you want them in the chair with the Maxwell yeah. speaker. But I can't make someone do that. And you just, you're a douche if you try to make someone do that. And people aren't going to like you very long if, if that's all you do. And the the weird thing with The Verge uh, is their idealistic stance here just seems so overdone in this case because 99% of podcasts don't really suffer much by being sped up. No. It's just two dudes like us talking and this dramatic pause is not that important. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also like – and this is probably being really nitpicky, but hey, look at the subject matter. So, like, if you, I use Pocket, you know, there's Instapaper. Actually, also, wasn't that Marco Arment? Yep. Also? Yeah. So, so he might have something to say about that. But, like, if you save an article from The Verge to, to Pocket or Instapaper or Readability or whatever, and you lose, like, their finely crafted margins and their side pull quotes and stuff like do they now have you lost the experience of reading that article like you could probably make a similar argument like well we use specific pull quotes in specific places and there's specific borders and padding and all that crap and it's like yeah but but is that really like what makes it like is the the words and their content not the relevant part because if i'm not going to understand this article without the borders then 
there's yeah. something wrong with your writing. And I get it. Some people might want to pull out the Marshall McLuhan and say the medium is the message and it changes the context. But my, my argument is it barely changes the context. And it's not like you're studying ancient literature and you there's actually something to be gained by having the manuscripts and kind of being part of how they scribbled these things onto the page. Right. Um, where you might actually gain some insights more than just the literal words on the page. We're not Latin scholars. We're not Greek scholars. <laughs> we're just listening well, to speak like... speak for yourself. Like <laughs> Most podcasts are kind of sloppily made. I mean, there's some really professional stuff happening, but you know, half the ones I listen to are... You know, it, it's not that big of a deal. It's not authorial intention like, oh, I set this exact 347 <laughs> millisecond pause and if you speed it up, you're ruining it. This yeah, isn't I, a Stanley Kubrick's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think more than anything, the well, there's, there's two things. One, as a fellow creator, I, I'm just happy that people want to listen to my stuff. Yeah. Like I'm... <laughs> Do I think there's an ideal way? Absolutely. Like you put a lot of work into producing these shows. We try and use the best equipment we have available and, and I think they sound great. And if somebody wants to hear that at two times speed, awesome. Thanks for listening. And I should also say just for anybody who's not doing this, like a sped up podcast thing, or if you use overcast and you didn't even know that this was happening, um, there's a lot of amazing technical wizardry that happens under the hood where this speeding up does not affect pitch yeah so when you listen to something at 1.3 or 1.8 or 3 it, it's still it <laughs> it's not it chipmunks <laughs> yeah exactly and that's i mean that's really important because that to me would be a deal breaker i cannot yeah, listen completely. to the all chipmunk podcast hour um i actually recently i started listening to audiobooks sped up because there's some books i want to listen to that are like long like 30 yeah. 40 hours of 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 reading and it just you know, shaves off that little bit of Have time. Have you ever tried to go back to Wanax after getting used to speed? Um, not on any shows that I listen to sped up. So like when I listen to like bits and pieces, like I've only ever listened to that at 1X because it's relevant to, you know, hear the music at the right speed. Um, but no, like any of the other shows I listen to, if you go back, it's like, oh my God, talk faster. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> Um, but then the other thing too that that you said that I think is is really the most salient point is if you're gonna put something out there, writing, artwork, audio recordings, whatever, you've given up control. Yeah. Like, and to be angry and and be like, no, you have to consume it the right way is like you've missed the point of giving That's art to the world. Right, but you're gonna limit your audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're probably gonna just turn some people who would not have thought about it. Like you've now brought it to their attention and they're like, oh, I don't like you. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, related to speeding things up, there there are situations where I would oppose it. Um, and that's uh, TV networks have been found, this is TBS and TNT specifically, have been found to be speeding up syndicated TV shows. So, you, you know, you're sitting down after work, you're not really doing anything important yet, and you're just like, ah, Seinfeld's on, I'll just sit through a Seinfeld. And that show is now two to three minutes shorter than it used to be because it's being sped up and they're fitting more ads in. Yeah, and this, uh, the ad thing is, I don't like it, and we have a lot more about ads coming up soon in the show, but... Like, I don't like it because they're doing more to insert ads, but 
I feel like the visual uh, increased speed, your brain does not handle that well. Yeah. People talking faster if you speed up an audiobook or a podcast, like that is fine. They're just speaking more quickly. But when, if you, so check this out in the show notes. Uh, there's, there's a comparison side by side. It, it looks like unnaturally It looks quick. like a Three Stooges where it's supposed to be sped up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and if you've ever, uh, like, I think I complained about this when I first got my new TV last year. The motion blur was on. Oh. And I was like, everything looks like it's coated in oil. Like, it's just so smooth and buttery but, and like, awful. Un- uncanny valley smooth. <laughs> oh, it's awful. Everything <laughs> looks awful. Like, cartoons looked awful. HD movies looked awful. It was just everything was terrible. <laughs> the only stuff that looked tolerable was, like, talking head style straight into the camera because there was so little movement yeah. that it, it didn't register. But yeah. this this is the sped up TV thing. Like I swear to God, they've been doing this for a long time, and they just recently got caught. Yeah, because this is ugh, I hate it. It's not the same. Your brain detects. This it's difference. also because it's not user control. Like with podcasts, I'm fine because users are deciding the speed they enjoy listening at. Yeah, and this is a network being driven by. Oh, we can fit six more ads if we speed this up. And it, to me, it just seems like a, an unsustainable approach. How how much faster could they go? Because <laughs> the reason they're doing it is there's a struggle against Netflix and, and streaming where people don't want to stick around. And your answer is to make the user experience worse. Right. Like, eventually, we're, we're just going to leave faster. <laughs> do, do you ever have satellite TV grown up or, or now as an adult? No. So we had that for a while because it was like the time between – like good cable boxes, good because they still are terrible, but you know, quality ish cable boxes and regular cable. So we, we did the satellite thing for a while and there were certain networks that played what would normally be an hour long show, but instead of doing like 10 minutes, then commercials, then 10 minutes, then commercials like that, they would do 45 minutes and then 15 minutes of commercials. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Like, I would get up and like go make a sandwich or something when the commercials came on because screw those commercials. And I mean, I get the advertisers don't like that, but (laughs) I actually found out because I was like just raving about this to someone that there are other parts of the world where that is how commercials are done. Yeah. So a 30 minute program is 22 minutes of show period and then eight minutes of commercials. They're not like interstitch. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, that's way less appealing to advertisers, but it's not all about you. Um, what's amazing is that I've started going through X-Files this past week, weekend, and man, they did 25 episodes a season, which, that's and they're all, they're all 45 minutes long, so. That's really good. Um, I actually read the reason that David Duchovny left the show after seven seasons was, he was like, I love the show, I love the writers, I love everything about it. I have to work 10 months a year and can't do anything <laughs> else. And so it's been seven years of only X-Files. My whole life is X-Files. <laughs> Just like bags under his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm so tired. Um, but what's funny is... I don't want to believe. The show is very clearly back when they would very... I mean, this still happens today where the end, right before a commercial break, something dramatic that they don't show you oh, yeah. off screen is like, what? Yeah, so, somebody opens a door and they're like, what? <laughs> and then fades. And I just love every time that happens, I'm like... Yeah, I don't care because it's coming right back because <laughs> it's on Netflix and I have no ads and I happily pay for this. Yeah, that is um, – so like Friends or How I Met Your Mother or any of those like super you know, primetime TV sitcom shows, 
that is something you really notice when they're like, how could you say that? And then it fades to black and then it immediately fades back in. And it's like, Ted, I'm asking you, how could you say that? About <laughs> this, this topic that someone who just joined the channel won't know about. <laughs> it <just> sounds so <laughs> awkward. Like I'm waiting for it's, it's a different quantum universe. Yeah. Or I'm just I'm waiting for Netflix to come up with an algorithm to like cut that stuff somehow. <laughs> like that, like that two and a half seconds right after fade back from black, where it's like, yeah, just don't even show that. <laughs> That's just the the previously on this episode. <laughs> exactly. Previously on just now, it's the uh, it's that I'm looking for a present for my aunt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have to link to that again. Uh, yeah, I think we, um, that should. That's one of those things like Fresco Jesus that could just always stand to be in the show notes. Yeah, it's just a permanent. <laughs> like the, we'll have a section of like permanent show, show notes. <laughs> so, I, and I meant to ask you, and I didn't, I didn't throw this in the rundown, so you can just give me your off the cuff response. Do you feel like they do this in department stores and restaurants with music, the speeding up? Because I. I mean, you're you're professional professional musician, so you probably have a decent sense of rhythm. I feel like I have a pretty good sense of rhythm, and sometimes I'll be walking through a store, and I'm just like, this song is not that fast. And then it goes to a commercial after the song, and I'm like, oh, this is the radio. This yeah. is not, you know, Sirius or Pandora. I would be surprised if radio hadn't found every trick possible to fit more into the same time period. Yeah, especially like morning talk radio shows where they act like they play music, but it's really yeah ads and you know people talking about the traffic and whatever. this is why i think podcasts are going to be seriously disruptive to radio as soon as cars have data plans automatically or whether it's your just your phone's data plan or sure. something else you have to pay extra for which would be annoying um is yeah podcasts may have i mean your sponsored podcasts do have little sponsor messages um but it's just so different than radio, which is like, oh, I guess the ne- the rest of my commute is going to be ads because they decided to load 10 minutes of ads here. Yep. And as soon as you have a viable option as a stream of podcasts, every single time a radio station pisses you off, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm just going to listen to this instead. <laughs> and then eventually you won't even go to the radio station. Well, I've, I've started now, like I used to listen to NPR a lot, and now I actually just cherry pick the NPR shows I like. And listen to their podcast. And it's kind of cool because in your podcast app, you can hop 30 seconds at a time until you get past the sponsor message you don't want to hear. Yeah. Which I actually, I'm, I mean, we don't have to get deep into this, but like I am comfortable with the, uh, like old fashioned style. And the, this is the way they do it on podcasts now. But like back in the day, you know, Dick Van Dyke used to like stop and turn to the camera. And be like, you know, when we're recording Dick Van Dyke, I smoke Marlboro cigarettes or what, you know, whatever stupid thing. Like <laughs> lucky strike, <laughs> lucky, lucky, whatever. Um, you know, Fred Flintstone and Barney sitting outside. Um, but like that kind of sponsor message actually doesn't bother me because that feels more like a brought to you by. Yeah. Whereas when I'm watching a show that like, like Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, and it's like. Every sound and every visual is like artfully crafted and then it bamfs to the advertiser's version of what I should be seeing and hearing. Like that disconnect is uncomfortable. Well, it also doesn't help because ads are compressed to hell and so their average signal level is always higher than the show you're watching because yeah. the show you're watching isn't gunshots the whole time <laughs> and they usually preserve at least a little bit of dynamic range so the whisper is different than the gunshot. Um, yeah, ads are just gunshots the whole time. <laughs> just all gunshots. <laughs> so speaking of sound, 
Um, Sony, did you hear about this? Yes, I did. So, so tell us about this. <laughs> so uh, we'll it's a little plug for my other podcast, Bits and Pieces. We're gonna we talk about this in more depth, but we'll it gets a mention on flipping tables because it's tech and it's obnoxious. And <laughs> Sony wants to sell you a memory card, a, a micro SD card, but they want to charge you four or five times as much because they're promising that it's somehow magically premium sound. Yes, it it delete uh, deletes and reduces. Uh, electrical noise, I think, is what they are claiming. Yeah, well, and the storage, <laughs> let's just get this out of the way. The storage device is not affecting the, the quality of your audio. Nope. Because it's ones and zeros, and then it goes to pres- presumably some chip that decodes that into sound that comes out of your speakers. Um, which is all after the SD card. Yeah, long after. And so, you know, yeah, maybe your your digital audio converter, your DAC, as they call them, <laughs> or your headphones could be better. Yeah, your memory card doesn't have anything to do with this. Yeah. And so Sony's like, oh, audio files that aren't very thoughtful, we'd gladly take five times as much money from you. Yep. And it's stupid. It's it's the same thing as like monster cables or gold Yeah, gold connectors. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because there was a time when analog signals, the quality of the connection was relevant because noise could get into the line. Yeah. But digital doesn't allow for that. Either the signal gets through or it doesn't. Yeah. There's a reason we have binary because it's literally on or off. There is no middle ground. And the example I read was if this SD card was actually better at ones and zeroing, (laughs) then you would... If that were really true, then all other SD cards would be unreliable for every use of storage because the files (laughs) you're storing on it aren't being transferred properly if it's affecting your sound. Otherwise, it's not affecting the sound at all. And that's the thing is it's not like there's no gradient. It either is or isn't. Yeah, it's either corrupting your data or they're ripping off. And and it is nice when something is that binary because there's a lot of things, especially in, in high tech where it's like, well, maybe this makes a little bit of a difference, but it's not huge or some people think it's huge. But with this, it's like, no, either you accept that there it works, which you're wrong, <laughs> or you accept that it doesn't work because it can't possibly work. Yeah. And I actually – so I threw this link in the in the show notes just because it's really funny. Um, this is not a, a uh, an affiliate link, but I should have made an affiliate link. If anybody buys these AudioQuest cables – so these are our HDMI cables. Uh, they're $13,000. I don't know what the commission on those would be, but it, it'd have to be okay. <laughs> right? And I love on the, the last time I looked at the page, let me, let me see what it says right now. There's only four left in stock, Mike. Oh. Hurry. They don't even look nice. They're just plain black cables. <laughs> they're boring. They should be like – like glowing or flashing or like something amazing. They they're 52 feet. Yeah. It's not $13,000 worth. They should be like 13,000 feet. Yeah. And again, yeah, like you said, it's not worth $13,000. Cable length is the one situation where materials do start to matter no matter what, because the longer the cable, the harder it is to have a reliable signal that goes over it of right. any sort. Um, but you don't need a 50-foot HDMI cable. Well, let's see. So 13000 divided by 52 feet, that's $250 a foot. Yeah, I wouldn't spend $250 on an HDMI cable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... Let alone 52 of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So one that, for every week. I just I, I threw that in the show notes. So if people don't believe me, like that is a real thing that a real company really sells. And of course, because it's so ludicrous, the Amazon reviews are always amazing. Oh, talk about this Amazon question. Answer. Yes. <laughs> so you can ask questions on on Amazon reviews, which are sometimes very useful, especially if you're buying uh, any kind of tech thing. And someone asked, how is this different from cheaper HDMI cables? Which seems like a reasonable question because it's very expensive. They're not being sarcastic or quippy. (laughs) And uh, they got a very reasonable answer that this is the only cable used by Batman. (laughs) So if you're a big Batman fan, maybe it's worth the 13000 Yeah, it's actually his grappling hook is based on this. (laughs) It goes in his utility cable. It's 52 feet. You could... Not a huge building, but you can scale like a medium-sized building. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Microsoft, poor old Microsoft, good guy Microsoft. What's he been up to lately? So th- this is good-ish guy. They did the right thing. They just didn't do enough of it. Um, o365 or Office 365 uh, is the, the online uh, version of their suite uh, to compete with Google Drive. And I say compete because (laughs) it's not very good. It's not only a watered-down version of Office, but it's a watered-down version of the Google Drive suite. Like It's just it's slow and clunky, and it's not very user-friendly. If you're going to use Office, just use the locally installed apps. Um, The mobile apps are also kind of – but in an attempt to kind of do the right thing, um, uh, is it Nadella – I'm always afraid I'm going to say his first Nadella name. Is it Satya Nadella. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's Satya Nadella. Yeah, is, yeah. The current we're CEO. going with it. <laughs> yeah, it's good, close enough. Um, he he has done a lot of right things, and in the newest uh, mobile apps and in Office 365 on the web, you can actually save documents to and access documents from Dropbox and uh, I think Box.net, but not Google Drive. Not Google Drive. So there's still. Obviously not trying to help their biggest competitor. Right. Which that would really be interesting because Drive can edit Word documents. So if they let you tie those two things together, you would have a ton of flexibility in where you stored stuff and what tool you use to access it. I'm sure Microsoft would love Drive not to be able to edit that, but they were getting into trouble probably in Europe mostly for proprietaryizing. You know, it's an official word. Um <laughs> Making it impossible for other software to use their word formats. Well, I think it may have bit them a little bit too because – and this is speculation. I'm not basing this on any any facts. But the XML the, – like the reason it's called DocX is because underneath there's this XML structure that tells the document how to format. And it's horrible. Like yeah. it's, it's clunky and nightmarish and anybody who's ever looked at XML with their bare eyes is like a little bit blinder than they were before <laughs> they looked at that XML because it burns. And uh, they probably – a lot of their formatting on the back end was it probably at least partially informed by like how can we make it so that it's harder for other people to parse. Yeah, You know, like any idiot could look at Markdown – and work out eventually like, oh, okay, underscores make it italics and a hash makes an H1 and two hashes makes an H2. And like they could eventually yeah. parse that out just by looking at it. But with a, a DocX or an Excel spreadsheet or, or PowerPoint PPTX, like you would have a really hard time figuring all that nonsense out. And then even if you get into the XML, it's still horrible. 
they might not have made those terrible design decisions if they weren't trying to keep people from opening their documents. Yeah. Is it just kind of like when criminal organizations or weird regions develop their own extreme dialect? Yeah. <laughs> and then the rest it's of the world. And at first it's like, yeah, the rest of the world can't understand our plans for, you know, the shipping pier nonsense. We're importing <laughs> illegal substances. But eventually people just can't understand you. Yeah, but you- now we also <laughs> can't order pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I I think like I'm I don't want to bash Microsoft. I think this is actually a step in the right direction, and it's I think a sign of bigger things to come. There's still a lot of enterprises that use Office for everything. Yeah. Um. So our own, for example. Uh. So I hope they expand on this kind of stuff, and I hope companies take advantage of it so that Microsoft sees value in it. Yeah. Uh. What I want to know is if because I I let me. Let me throw this back up for a second, but I think uh, they have not connected it to iCloud yet, not because they didn't want to, but because I think they actually can't because I think iCloud is, oh no, it did. Yeah, it did. When this launched with Dropbox, it did also receive iCloud support. So that's, that, that to me is like a big, not waving of the white flag but kind of like the peace the olive branch like hey guys can't we all I just think get along microsoft is really sobered up i think that's why i'm so much less inclined to make fun of them or kind of elbow them because they they're no longer they're not in as much of a bubble about their accurate place in the industry right now they realize they got to hustle yeah and so it's a little more like all right I, I don't mind this. I don't mind you having to compete and not just like pretending that you're invincible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, resting on their enterprise laurels. Yeah, yeah. Um, so speaking of Windows machines, <laughs> yeah, this is so we've unfortunately now gotten past all the lighthearted stuff. <laughs> we now get to go down the sad security rabbit hole. So there's there's long been sort of a conflict of interest on cheap laptops that you buy from Best Buy or other places where you kind of have an, in this unspoken agreement when you buy like a $200 HP laptop and that's, hey, this laptop is really cheap. And the other side goes, hey, I loaded a bunch of adware crap on this so that it could be that cheap because these companies are paying us to load this stuff on there. Yeah, it's, but, it's the same way Microsoft subsidizes except kind of evil. Yeah, well, it recently went very, very poorly. Um, this wasn't just like, oh, I don't want Earthlink. Please don't preload that. This is- <laughs> oh my God, Earthlink! <laughs> you know, this isn't like, oh, I don't want an Acrobat free trial. Like, you know, like obnoxious stuff, but not inherently harmful to your life. Um, but then Superfish happened. So, what is Superfish? So, Superfish is a adware platform based on the Komodo engine. And basically to just sum all this up in a way that's easy to understand, this is a really bad thing that comes pre-installed on a lot of Lenovo laptops. They're getting the brunt of it. Unfortunately, now people are finding out that this Komodo engine is used in a lot of other what we would call malware platforms, but they very generously call ad platforms. (laughs) And the reason that this is terrible is twofold. One, it breaks all SSL encryption. So like when you go to your bank and you see the little friendly green lock, the little friendly green lock will still appear, 
but it's not doing anything. Wow. So this is very Emperor's New Clothes. Like, you're convinced that you're dressed, but everybody else knows you're not. So that's really bad because it doesn't just break SSL to serve you ads. It breaks SSL in places it's not serving you ads. Like, it's, yeah. it just breaks it everywhere. And then the even more, like, cartoonishly worse part is there's one key, so the like the secure key that makes this platform work. There's one, which means if I have a Lenovo laptop, I can extract my key and then hack your Lenovo laptop because you also have this crap installed or anybody else who has any of these terrible Komodo-based ad things, which are a lot. Like It's way more widespread than people realized. And when this was blowing up, there was kind of an initial response from Lenovo that was basically like, Hey everyone, calm down. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah, and then they they, they, they lost that PR battle immediately because then tech people are like, "Um, no, this is not something (laughs) to calm down about. This is actually really horrible." Yeah, and and the way speaking of backpedaling, the way (laughs) Lenovo backpedaled was at first they were like, "No, it's not that big of a deal," and then they were like. Well, okay, so maybe, you know, we thought we were serving ads that would, like, benefit customers. <laughs> and then ultimately it was just like, yeah, okay, we screwed up. We're really, really super sorry. And well, No, 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 because then their press release was like, and we acted swiftly and heroically <laughs> to protect our customers from what we did. <laughs> yes, it's like I expertly removed the bullet that I shot into your chest. <laughs> yeah. And then actually, so speaking of good guy Microsoft, uh, they like immediately patched Windows to, I don't know if it completely prevents this, but it, it does, it goes a long way to removing this. So if you unfortunately, because Lenovo is a reputable brand, like they, I would never have guessed this kind of nonsense, like yeah, HP, th- Dell well, back they, you know, they, in the day. They absolutely. inherited the ThinkPad line after IBM was done with it, right? Uh, I think they bought it from them, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're... they're Good laptops. Yeah, yeah, and sadly, they actually just bought Motorola, which now makes me worry that they're not going to be good stewards of Motorola. Yeah. But they, uh, th- this was very surprising to me from such a reputable brand, but Microsoft actually did step in and they were like, oh, emergency patch release yeah. and get like get that crap out of there. I think this is also, I mean, clearly this is a bigger overreach than usually happens, but this is what happens in race to the bottom markets that kind of get crushed so far down in price that companies that don't have high margin products anywhere in their portfolio eventually have to go hunting for shitty forms of revenue. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing that they might, you know, in desperation, it's like it's like some, you know, <laughs> down and out person turning to crime on the streets, <laughs> robbing a convenience store. It's like, why did you turn to adware platforms? It doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> well, I think this is one of the to me the good reasons to have a lot of small businesses versus monolithic businesses because a small coffee shop or a small bookstore or whatever is probably fairly comfortable operating within like modest margins. You know, if a, a guy who owns like a local bookstore, he sees the writing on the wall, he's like, yeah, books are on their way out, but you know what? I could still put food on the table and pay my mortgage and pay my employees if, you know, he has a staff or whatever. And, and that's probably acceptable. 
But a company like Lenovo that's huge and publicly traded or HP or any of these other like companies that ship all kinds of yeah. garbage installed on their computers, they have to show growth. They have to show innovation. They have to show new revenue streams. Like there's all this pressure to do that. Whereas like a, a smaller to medium sized business is like, eh, we're fine with things the way they are. Yeah. It doesn't have to be adware. <laughs> I feel like there's there's like halfway house for like people recovering from adware. So this I and I came up with this analogy and I know most of the listeners to the show are, are tech savvy people, but I just want to make this clear because I, I was happy with this analogy. So having SSL broken on your computer it, and then logging into your bank is a lot like if when you walked up to the ATM, you shouted your account number and pin number out loud. So it's possible nobody's listening, but if anybody's listening, they just heard your account number and PIN number. Yeah. And it's like, why would you do that? Do you want identity theft? Because that's how you get identity theft. <laughs> exactly right. So this, you, you were actually the one who brought the great SIM heist to my attention. So tell, tell me about this. Because I, I just read this article this morning and it was like horrifying. Yeah. Well, and, and it's in our governments and UK's government and other governments in the world, in their great pursuit of every avenue possible to slurp up information, um, you know, they, they break our email, they break um, all sorts of things, trying, you know, social networks, trying to gather information. But one thing they broke that is uh, especially concerning is the factory that creates all the SIM cards for our cell phones. They basically got in before those get shipped out even to your phones and basically have a backdoor through the SIMs. Yeah, so I didn't know that SIM cards, one, are responsible for so much encryption, and two, that that's a really terrible idea. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is like your your OS, like your Android or iOS, they can be patched. Your phone's firmware can be updated, but your SIM card is almost never touched in any way. Right. And so now are we going to start seeing tools for flashing your SIM card? So yeah, that- are you going to get a, an email from Verizon or T-Mobile or whatever, and they're like, hey, can you come into the store and get a new SIM card? The one you have is dangerously vulnerable. They probably don't care because they probably get paid a stipend for not caring about that. Quite possibly true, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a really concerning thing that the industry needs to fix. But this actually um, moves straight into our our final topic, which is sort of government surveillance in general, but more specifically because the Academy Awards just happened and one of the the films that won was Citizen Four, which is a documentary about Edward Snowden and uh, the the new whistleblower age we are in. Um, And he and two of the filmmakers and journalists involved in creating Citizen Four, Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras, had a Reddit AMA and I went to read it and it is a fantastic AMA. And if you care about um, technology and public policy and government, you should go read this because it's really good. Well, I, I mean, I don't know that much about Edward Snowden as a person. I mean, like I know what he's been doing and, yeah. and we owe a lot to him and, and what he's given up. But I had no idea. Like he's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I was sort of surprised to see some he's of his responses. Basically, all right, he's like 30. <laughs> yeah, he's a young guy. Um, and you know, 30-year-olds are funny is what I'm saying. Automatically, yes. Yes. White guy, short, spiky hair with glasses, instant comedian. But I, like, I actually linked to, to one of these responses that has nothing to do with any security matters. But somebody uh, said this is the most Reddit thing that's ever happened. And his response is it's happening.gif. <laughs> and I was like, 
he's surprisingly well connected for someone on the other side of the planet living like under protection probably try not to unnecessarily expose his web traffic yeah (laughs) so that's um good guy snowden yeah so i mean people ask a lot of different questions about you know what's happened since your leaks how has anything changed and i really liked uh one of i think this is no it is snowden's response they're all three the, the two filmmakers are also part of the responses um but someone basically posted complaining about like it seems like nothing has changed like yeah we all have the horrifying facts about how much they surveil us but you know oh big difference we still haven't changed anything and snowden and glenn greenwald both had really great responses to this and first of all they were very clear like did you really expect the government to voluntarily limit itself? Yeah. It's like these leaks, we didn't like, you know, maybe this is hindsight talking, but governments don't naturally take away their own power. Yeah. Yeah. He, he made a very good point about how rolling back power from the government is so hard, Yeah, which is why you need to be tentative about giving them power in the first place. So I'm actually going to read part of Snowden's response to this. It was actually mostly an emotional, like, oh, we're powerless, it's hopeless kind of post. And he actually had this really encouraging thing to say. He said, many of the changes that are happening are invisible because they're happening at the engineering level. Google encrypted the backhaul communications between their data centers to prevent passive monitoring. And Apple is the first forward with a full disk encryption by default smartphone. Kudos. And Android's there now as well. Um, Grad students around the world are trying to come up with ways to solve the metadata problem, the opportunity to monitor everyone's associations, who you talk to, who you sleep with, who you vote for, even in encrypted communications. The biggest change has been in awareness. Before 2013, if you said the NSA was making records of everyone's phone calls and the GCHQ was monitoring lawyers and journalists, people raised their eyebrows and called you a conspiracy theorist. Those days are over. Facts allow us to stop speculating and start building, and that's the foundation we need to fix the Internet. We just happen to be the generation stuck with fighting these fires. Yeah, that is really inspiring. <laughs> yeah. Because, one, it's it, I think, brings a lot of attention to the people who are doing the work because this was one of those problems like nobody knew it was a problem then someone brought it up and now no one knows that work is being done to fix it you know not at the government level unfortunately because they're a whole other problem but the technology companies involved are like well what if we just take away your avenue for spying and it doesn't matter what your laws are because then you don't you can't do it the easiest rights to preserve are the one you never had the opportunity to infringe on in the first place. I don't know. Yeah. That is not a smooth. <laughs> no, but like he made that point really elegantly later where he said, we have to protect our rights through systems and standards and not policies and procedures. Mm. So you can't just have human rules of don't punch other people. <laughs> when, you know, when it comes to technology, you can't just be, well, you're slurping up everything, but don't use it in a bad way. Right. You can't just have a policy. You need to have the actual system designed so that, oh, I can't abuse this. Right. Not I won't and I promise not to abuse this. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we both work in education, so I think we both have formed the habit of trying really hard not to liken physical things to digital things because everybody always wants to do that. You know, they look at an ebook and they're like, well, how is this like a paper book? It's like, no, just just take it for what it is. How is this a thing that transmits information into your brain yeah. through words? But that's the job to be done. <laughs> right. But that's that's harder. Like we humans love analogies. Like it's a really big thing for us. And 
I think a place where we actually do need to liken digital to physical is in surveillance. Like if you can't walk into someone's house and write down what they're saying and then walk out and then use that to prosecute them, (laughs) then you shouldn't be able to snoop their email or their text messages or anything because it's the, you have no legal authority to listen to them. Yeah. Like that to me is, it should be exactly the same. Like if you need to spy on me because I am a threat for some reason, then you have to get a warrant yeah. and you have to have probable cause, but you can't just listen to everyone and be like, Oh, we heard someone break the law. Go get him." And he, uh, he was, he's very measured about, um, like civil disobedience and whistleblower protection laws because his argument is if all you do is follow the law, they'll just pass laws to let themselves do whatever they want. Sometimes the right thing to do is break the law. Yeah. That's why you need whistleblower protection laws because the right thing to do is to call the government or an evil corporation on their bullshit, which is technically a crime. So that person needs to be protected. Well, and he, he did a quick run through. This might have been Glenn Greenwald or it might have been Snowden or both. Um, they both had great comments and Laura Portress too. Read them all. Um, but they make great <laughs> points about every single significant advance in protecting our rights or adapting our leaky ship of a democracy to a new era where there are different challenges has always been people doing, quote, illegal things. And the distinction is the law is not always in sync with what is morally defensible or correct right it sometimes it is you know it's good that we not murdering is part of our law (laughs) system and that lines up pretty well but sometimes the things that are enshrined in law have almost nothing to do with morality or you know ethical behavior and there that becomes a dilemma as a citizen where you're like well i don't set out to break my country's laws but when that separation becomes so extreme i'm going to choose what is ethically right rather than just obey the law and like having that mental model where you're willing to see those as sometimes independent things is I think the basis of why people get into very passionate, horrible arguments about this stuff. Because some people, (laughs) there's never a separation. Whatever the country's rules are is right. Right. And if you're breaking it, fuck you. Yeah, you're automatically wrong because you went against the rule of law. Which, I mean, to be fair, the the devil's advocate argument is – Everyone can't just follow their own moral compass. That's why we have laws. Because right. psychopaths think murdering people is fine. Like, right. So, but I mean, that's the thing is when you have, cause I think he used the example of, uh, like civil rights, women's suffrage, uh, you know, the more recently with like gay marriage being legalized. The end of slavery. He had to break some laws to end slavery. Right. So, but. That wasn't like one lone nut job who was like, you know what? Slavery is bad. And the entire rest of yeah, the it world. Yeah, became a whole movement and a, yeah. a whole consensus of a culture of like, yeah, it's not cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You had way more. This is a bad thing. Let's stop this. And good reason. It's not like it was just opposing opinions. You had opposing opinions backed by facts. And obviously, you know, when you look back, I don't think there's any times in history. I mean, it is written by the winners and all, but I don't think there's any time in history where you could look back and be like, oh man, we really shouldn't have done the morally right thing there. We should have just blindly followed the law. That would have been better. Yeah. And I think we're, we're in another one of those eras with surveillance and I hope it doesn't have to get a lot worse before it gets better. But 
I do. I am thankful to Edward Snowden for quote breaking the espionage laws to do a great good, and us having these facts so that we can get away from is the government doing this stuff, and we can move on to how are we going to fix this. I, I just that movement has been so important. So. Big movie guy. Have you seen Citizen Four? No, I am eager to run it. Yeah, I'm I because I actually heard about this movie when it first came out and I don't I mean documentaries aren't something I follow super close. And uh it just totally fell off my radar. And then I'm glad it won the Oscar because it put everything back in the forefront. It was like, yeah. hey, this is still a thing. Like I know there's lots going on. It's true, there are lots of things that are important. This is also important, though, yeah. so maybe don't forget about it. So I'm, I'm actually looking uh, on canistream.it right now. I love that site. Citizen 4. Citizen 4. And Citizen Toxie, the Toxic Avenger 4. Did you use 4 the word up. 4 or the number 4? I used the word 4, but I also put a space. Is that it? Yes, there is no space. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Citizen 4. Parsing. Yeah. So Citizen for I'm gonna set up a little notification so it can tell me when it's available. Yep. But yeah, I'm I'm interested because I know a lot about what he's revealed and I know a little bit about you know, he had to flee the country and I think he spent a little bit of time in Hong Kong and he's been in Russia now for a while, but I I'm interested to know more about like when did he decide that too much was too much and he had to speak up and you know, a little bit more about his journey. Just, you know, the inside baseball stuff is like it's it's not the relevant part of what he's doing. But if it helps keep people's attention in the right place, then that's not a bad yeah. thing. And I think they've they've done an amazing job of slowly doling out shocking revelations. Yeah. And I, I mean, part of that may be on purpose to keep it in the public consciousness. But it's probably also they have to sift through tons of stuff and try to be thoughtful about what they release because there's been other leaks in recent American history that have been a little more short-sighted or like, yeah, I'm glad you're leaking some of this stuff, but you also leaked a bunch of other stuff that is in danger. Like legitimately, an argument can be made, you're endangering people's lives or right. you're endangering diplomatic relations that aren't scandalous, but you've just made this a lot more difficult in the world. And right. And there's the by association problem. Like, oh, you just released this stuff that's innocent with this other stuff that's really bad. Yeah. So in the same box, it just, it all seems bad. So, I mean, there, there's really no reason for them to not be slow and thoughtful about it because it's, it means they're being thoughtful about it, which is important. And it also does help keep it in the public eye. You know, if it all, if, 10 billion documents were all released at once, everybody would be like, wow, those are a lot of documents, and yeah. that'd be it. But to release like, you know, 10 every few days or something like that. It does seem like every month or two there's some new chapter of, oh my God, they're doing that too? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you, Snowden. And I'm also really encouraged, you know, to try to sum up our feelings on this. I've been encouraged by what we've heard from the industry that the industry has been responding and like, how about encrypt all the things? And, you know, we, we aren't quite there yet, but a lot of progress has already been made on def by default encrypting things. This, this Enough is that actually, governments are complaining where I'm like, take that as a good sign. This is actually <laughs> a point in the, on the board of big monolithic companies because Apple and Google have just ridiculous amounts of authority 
by their size and they're like, oh, we're just going to encrypt everything by default now. So now it's not even a user option. It's just everything's encrypted on their devices. Yeah. And a lot of security people, bad security people were like, <laughs> no, but that'll make it harder to um, help them with tech Think of the support. children. <laughs> yeah. Someone think of the children. And Apple and Google were like, eh, stop us. Yeah. <laughs> and they you can't. You know, if it was a smaller company, the government or, or some agency could like flex their muscle, but not against Apple and Google. So I mean yeah. in that in that sense a giant monolithic organization and is kind of beneficial. My caveat is this is really nice right now when our interests are aligned with Apple and Google on the privacy front. And I know everyone likes to not everyone, but there's snarky people on the internet love to rag on Google for being based on sucking up your data. But people who just blindly throw that at Google are misunderstanding because Google doesn't blindly suck up your data to hand it to the whole world. <laughs> they suck up your data to keep it to themselves, and that's what makes it valuable. Right. And so that's why they're also incentivized to encrypt everything and to make things private. Yeah. Um, it's a different, you know, maybe someday that motivation will align differently with the customers. But right now, I don't have a big problem with it. Right. Well, and also the that balance between organization, you know, private organizations and government is all this time Google has been very clear like we this is what we do with your data, this is what we don't do with your data, this is what we collect, this is what we don't collect. And if all of a sudden they did a total 180 and they were just like all this data to the highest bidder, any corporation yeah. can come in, then the government could step in and be like, "Nope." And here's the other thing, Google can't hide behind a state secrets defense no they cannot <laughs> so they they can be taken to court and i know you can sue the government but let's be honest the attempts to sue the government over surveillance have gone nowhere so far not very they're productive. starting to go somewhere because we actually have public facts now <laughs> <laughs> but anyway we, we don't have to drag this out too long um yeah but i so i i want to just make sure to point out um there's a few things in the show notes it's all interesting but there's a few things in here uh the snowden um, AMA is long, but it, every bit of it is worth a read. All the top level stuff is worth a read. Once Redditors start talking to each other in like nested yeah. comments, who cares? Um, but if you are curious whether or not one of your devices is vulnerable to this superfish nonsense, there's actually a link in the show notes, can I be superfished.com? And, uh, it will make it really obvious if you're vulnerable or not. Cause if the website loads, you're vulnerable. It's very clear. Um, and a useful, I went, I mean, I'm on yeah. a, a Mac running OS 10, all patched and updated, but I was still like, oh, I want to know. Yeah. It'll take me two seconds. I want to know for sure. Yep. Uh, and you can find these show notes online at, uh, sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 55. And, uh, we got a couple shout outs to do. So we are so thankful to our Patreon supporters, Bruce Edwards and Matt Mariner. Um, your generous support helps keep us smiling, keeps us recording. We love you guys. And, uh, one of the most useful things anybody can do is actually leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes. So unfortunately, iTunes is still kind of the center of the podcast universe and those ratings and reviews, every single one of them, we appreciate the feedback. And uh, you can leave one of those. It just takes a couple seconds and it helps us out a lot. And if you want to go the extra mile and maybe even get mentioned at the end of the show, uh, you can find out how to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sunriserobot. We'll see you next week. <laughs>